Welcome to the podcast, the Hunt Podcast, with Micah Christian and I'm Garrett. Today we are we're continuing our discussion over uh, what we have called overlooked different doctrines and theologies that um, are pertinent to our faith, to the church, to just Christianity as a whole, and and things that you, know, you may or may not have learned or studied um, throughout your life as a Christian, or maybe you're a new Christian and you're just wanting to see, you know. What, what do I need to, to understand a little bit more deeply? Well, that's what we've been studying in this series. And uh, if you want to look back at where we've come so far, maybe we can um, go over that here in a second. But today we're talking about a big word, eschatology. Eschatology. And eschatology just means the study of the end. The, uh, the word eschatos is Greek for end. And ology is just the ending of a word. Um, any word that has ology at the end of it means the study of. So eschatology is the study of the end. And this is a very important uh, topic within our faith. And it is something that really sets us apart from all of our other religions in world history. So uh, it's, it's a good topic for us to kind of continue on this week. We have this topic, eschatology, and then next week is going to be our last, last one of the series of overlook. So what do you all think? What what do you think of when you think of eschatology? The end. No, not like the end of our podcast, but like just like, like the end this of is time. This is the end. That, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And I mean, through that is revelation. Like I just equate eschatology with revelation. What do you think of when you think of revelation? The end. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I asked the dragon. I, yeah. I, see, I mean, well, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people Really honestly because of recent uh we did a we did um it's been a little while i guess on like wednesday nights we did like letters to the churches so between honestly like the lake of fire and um the church letters to the churches those are kind of like the first things i think about um when i think of revelation and the end times you know just like the whole thing so what, what i'm um what i was getting at with that question is i, th- I think I'll, i think we often not misinterpret, but we misuse the book of Revelation and we kind of use it to elicit fear and um, kind of dread. And we say, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't dot, dot, dot. So it's like, you know, if you, if you don't follow Jesus, you're going to uh, burn in the lake of fire for all of eternity. And we use Revelation to bring people to Christ through fear instead of what you know, the book of Revelation was actually meant to be a book that uh, brought hope to Christians that were struggling to face in, in the face of persecution, specifically in the time frame that it was written in. Um, and so, I think we lose a lot whenever we read in Revelation, just as like what you said, the dragon. Um, right. You only see it as that. The book of Revelation. We, I mean, it's a book about hope. Uh, if we look at the end times, the end times for the Christian, at least, uh, the end times, it's all about hope and about this joy that, hey, we know Jesus is coming back. We know Jesus has won. Uh, we know he's coming to get us. Uh, and we know we get to spend forever with him um, on the in the new heaven and new earth. And But, you know, it's not supposed to be a book of fear, but I think that it can be very fearful for those who do not know Christ or maybe for those who are shaky in their relationship uh, just to kind of think, oh, wow, sometime there is going to be an end. Uh, And sometimes there's going to be an end of my life. There's going to be an end of the time of the world. And what happens after that? And that's where it can bring fear in our lives. I think it's also, I mean, I think 
not for any of those that because there are times where I have fear about it um and part of that I think is just because of the unknown it's just so foreign um and just as human nature we tend to be fearful of the unknown um there's being afraid of the dark is a very common fear not because terrified of the dark yeah and it's not because of the monsters I mean I, I mean some would probably but it's it's but that's the idea. It's, I don't know what's in the dark. You know, I don't know what's there. I can't see it. So there's a fear there. And so, I mean, there's even times where I kind of put, catch myself in a, um, kind of a cycle of like the world's never going to, or my existence is never going to end because I'm going to be with, you know, eternities forever. And so I can kind of spiral and it starts to give me this kind of like hot flash anxiety kind of thing. But then I ground myself and I'm going to, and then I tell myself, but it's going to be the greatest thing ever because yeah. God's going to be there. So there's a fear there. Uh, and it's not, I think revelation is naturally even apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature is a little fearful. Just the imagery of it. You know, it's I don't know if darks the word, but it's, you know, it's being thrown into the lake of fire and, you know, there's some stuff, mm. the word, the verbiage is like, Whoa. Um, but the good news, like you were saying, Christian, as, as, as a believer in Jesus, the good news is, we're saved from that. That's what the end times looks like for us is we get saved from that. Uh, and so, so for any listeners that may be like me, that sometimes kind of have that anxiety or that struggle with it's never going to end. And if you ever been like me and if you know what that feels like, um, I don't think that necessarily make, should make us feel like we have a lack of faith necessarily, but always be reminded and remind yourself. And that's how I snap myself out of it. So to speak is to say, yeah, it's never going to end, but it's going to be the greatest existence ever because i'm going to be with god it's a perfect it become we become a perfect creation again so um so that's the awesome part about it uh, and the truth behind it is it's great for if you believe in jesus and everyone can you know that's that's the other thing it's not limited to you know jews or gentiles well i mean that's everyone but it's not limited Mm -hmm. to just jews and the gentiles are not added in it's not limited to americans or russians or zimbabweans it's for anybody um so that that's what's awesome about it. Did you all ever have any specific fears when you were growing up? Yeah, I used to. <laughs> this is funny. I think I told you guys. I might have said this on the podcast before. I used to fear, um, which I've always been scared. Spiders is my only fear now. Uh, but as a kid, I used to be so scared to die. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, this is so funny. I used to pray this, which like I got saved at a young age, but I was always afraid. Like, I don't know why I was afraid of death. Um, and I would pray to God every night, God, please don't let me die. Please let me go in a whirlwind like Elijah. <laughs> uh, that's a cool uh, prayer for good. That's I was, awesome. I was always afraid that, um, it, like what you're saying, Christian, I wasn't necessarily afraid of death, but I was afraid of, uh, Christ of, of the end of Christ returning. Right. And so I had it in my mind. I asked my mom one time, and I used this in a sermon illustration a while back. I actually just preached probably two months ago on Revelation. Um, and <laughs> I mean, so I, this kind of freshened my mind. But I, when I was little, I asked my mom about, you know, when's the end going to come? When's Jesus coming back? And she said, Jesus said he's going to come like a thief in the night, meaning he's going to come when no one thinks about him coming anymore, when everyone doesn't expect that he will come anymore. So in my mind, what that meant was, I can't ever stop thinking about Jesus returning or else he's going to return. So I, I, I thought (laughs) like I would go to school and all day I would just sit about and think about Jesus coming back. And like, I thought in my mind, I was like 
the guardian of the end times. Like I was the person, I was the Garrett, sword in the darkness that Garrett prevented the, reason, the end from coming. It is the reason we made it out of 2012. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 2012. <laughs> was it December 21st, 2012 or 22nd? No, something like that. that day. Oh yeah. yeah. Have you ever seen that movie 2012? Oh, where yeah. The uh, Mayan calendar just ends. In- is it the one with the rock? Or no, that that's one? that's the one where the waters flood. That one. Yeah. yeah that's what it's, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a classic. So that was one of my major fears growing up, and it you know it still ties. It, it, but it's just it's it's crazy. And I was a Christian at that point. Like I became a Christian when I was five, and that was probably when I was eight that I had those fears. Christian became Christian at birth. So, <laughs> so well done. <laughs> but it's just interesting how, and I'm sure there's even older and, and more mature Christians that still have this fear of the end and. It, it's crazy the dichotomy between Christians of the time that the book of Revelation was written and Christians today and how that's, you know, Revelation is fearful today and was what was longed for then. Yeah, I think we have, like you said, being used to illicit fear. I think a lot of times it can be fear can be provoked through, you know, like the hellfire and brimstone preaching. Um, and, and I think I've never done that personally, but um, I think the idea of that preaching is for people to react and be react in a way that I don't want to be in, you know, in simple terms, the bad side. So Mm -hmm. I want to accept Jesus to be to the good side. But there's still, I think even for someone on what I would, again, simplify the good side. Yeah. For a believer in Jesus hearing about quote unquote hellfire and brimstone, you're like, Whoa, that stuff, you know, like it's, it's just hard to, um, you know, and, and I think, I think it can, like you said, I, I think we can elicit fear. We can provoke fear out of revelation without intending to necessarily, or, mm-hmm. or by trying to be prevent, uh, present a hope and salvation driven message, but we can also give fear um, to those maybe that, that are like Christian was saying earlier, maybe someone that is young in their faith um, or someone that has, you know, worked out, hasn't worked out some of their, um, you know, some of those questions and those um connections to God. So like you said, I think we got to be careful, but at the same time, we got to preach scripture. Um, you know, um, it's, it's pretty imagery driven. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah. So the book of revelation is it's the within Christian eschatology, within our view of the end times, the book of revelation is kind of like our optimal source. I mean, you kind of get like, if you go to the old Testament, you can look at Ezekiel or Daniel um, mm-hmm. parts of Isaiah and Jeremiah, like you can get different apocalyptic literature. And so, so just for those at home, um, if you don't know what apocalyptic means, it's just, it's just a type of writing that elicits a, um, pieces of imagery that reference like, um, monsters and, uh, beasts, beasts out of the sea, the um, it, it's, it really doesn't have anything to do with the end times. The apocalyptic doesn't. It, it's, a, um, it's a genre um, that is used to use imagery to show catastrophe. So um, it, it's known today as being literature that is used to show the end times because it so often is associated with the end times. Um, but in reality, it's just imagery that's used to um like like brutal imagery that's used to show um prophetic judgment is the proper term um 
so anyway, you know, you see this prophetic judgment and the imagery of apocalyptic of the apocalyptic genre. You see it in Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel, um, Jer- uh, Jeremiah. You see it some. Um, you see it some in um, what are some of the minor prophets that you see it in? I think you see it in Joel. Um, but then uh, overall, the most you see it is in Revelation. You know, so all these other books, they kind of have pieces of apocalyptic literature and imagery intermingled in it. But Revelation, it's all apocalyptic literature, like the entire book. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty much all it is. And, and it's really, really tough to read sometimes because you don't really know how to interpret it. It's, it can be difficult to kind of like read through it and, and know, you know, what is this referencing? What is this saying? How am I supposed to read it? How, how do you all read Revelation whenever you read through it? One word at a time? <laughs> yeah, I mean, with my eyes and brain, usually. Um, yeah, one word at a time. Go ahead, Christian, what did you say? Yeah, I was thinking one word at a time. Like, I honestly... Um, you know, I don't. I don't know. When I read Revelation, I I think about it historically written. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, when when John is writing to the seven churches, and uh, but I, you know, I do see that that can correlate and relate to us today. I also see that um, uh, thinking that, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Garrett, it was written. Uh, if we look at the historical context, it was written to bring hope uh, to a persecuted uh, to persecuted churches. Um, you know, I think about it historically, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I read it and, and I think about, um, I, I do see it as just a foreshadow of what is to come. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it as a, uh, what's the word? I, I see it as, I, I see it as metaphorical. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't like, like a lot of symbolism in Revelation, yeah. I believe. Yeah, uh, which it, is, it's hard to it's so hard to translate. I think right. There's there's four different ways that Revelation is interpreted um, throughout history. Um, there's what is known as the historist perspective, the preterist or preterist perspective, the futurist perspective, and the idealist perspective. And um, they're basically just four different ways that you can interpret Revelation and. Some of them coincide and some of them don't. The historist view states that everything that is in the book of Revelation has already taken place except for Christ's return. So like every piece of imagery that's ever used has, is, is talking about something that already happened. So like John is writing um, about things that Rome did to the Jews or things that Rome did to Christians, and he uses imagery to talk about those things. And the only piece of imagery that hasn't taken place yet from a historicist perspective is that Christ has returned. A preterist views that, um, or no, I'm sorry. What I just said is the preterist view. The historicist view is that everything in Revelation is unfolding. So like right now we would be at a particular stage of the book. Like there's some things that have happened, um, like the falling of the temple and, um, Collapse of the Western Roman Empire. Yeah, like there's different things that have taken place in the historicist view, but there's also some things that haven't taken place The yet. Protestant Reformation. So like, yeah, half and half, yeah. I'm reading this from an article, yeah. by the way. I don't know okay. any of this stuff. <laughs> um, the preterist is what I just said, that everything has taken place already except for Jesus' return. Um, and this view generally states that Revelation was written um, in the 70 AD 
in 70s AD, right after the temple fell. The historicist view um, is that everything's unfolding. Half of it's kind of happened. Half of it hasn't happened. It's, it's coming through time. The futurist view says that none of it has happened yet, that every piece of literature or every piece of symbolism in the book of Revelation is referencing an event that has not taken place yet. Um, and so like all the churches, the seven churches that he's written, that he wrote to are church are, are kind of like the, the, the churches of the end times. Um, some people will be like this. Some people won't be like this. Um, and, and that everything that's going to, that, that John talks about is going to happen right before Jesus returns. An idealist perspective looks at this. Basically they look at the, the book of revelation and they view it as if it is a Greek theater piece. Um, what I mean by that is that everything is just purely symbolism. Um, and so there's aspects of the book that are in reference, like, you know, you see the, the beasts and the, the giant serpent and you have the Leviathans and, and all of these things reference spiritual matters. Mm. So like the beast isn't in reference to a specific person um, or anything that is actually going to literally happen, but just in the cosmic sense, you know, God is at this conflict with evil. Um, symbolism of just evil. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. And, and that ultimately, and in, in the grand scheme of things, God is going to conquer evil, but it's not really specific. The idealist perspective doesn't think that John was really referencing specific dates, times, and people um, throughout history. Um, so those are the four different trains of thought for how to in interpret Revelation. I generally am a historicist and an idealist kind of put together. Um, I know a lot of people that are preterists, preterists, and I know quite a few people that are futurists. Um, so it's, it's, there's not really any one way to interpret Revelation because most of it is things that we just don't know. I yeah. think I'm historist, futurist, and uh, um, idealist. All yeah, I think I'm all four. <laughs> <No. laughs> The the historists, I like that because there are aspects of Revelation that I undoubtedly can see within history. Like, for example, the letters to the seven churches, the historicist views that each letter is another stage of history, like each church that he writes to. So, for example, he writes to um, the church in Smyrna, the church in Ephesus, Laodicea, um, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Philadelphia Pergamum. Thyatira, all these different churches he writes to, each um, church, each individual church is in reference to the larger church at whole. At so like at a frame. different stage in history. So, so, so this, this, that would be like a symbolic, like the letter to Philadelphia is not to a specific church, but it, it represents yeah. a time frame in history of the church. Yeah. So like Ephesus would be, I think, I have to look, I, I have, there's a great book if you're interested in this, it's called the the uh the four views of revelation par the parallel four views of revelation by steve gregg um it's a really great book it's really dense really thick but if you ever really wanted to know how everyone views revelation that's the book to use that's what they used to call me in high school dense dense yeah yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> um so like for example ephesus would be the church of i believe it was 180 to 250 ad uh, i was gonna um, ask you so so, like, so it has some theologians or historicists yeah. actually mapped the time they think oh that, yeah absolutely wow. they say that 
we are today, can i find an article on that where it's like uh, gives a synopsis of the the probably as opposed to reading a huge book yeah. I, can't, I don't know how to read as he probably said. could I don't know how to read, so let's just know that. The that four views of podcast for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Is there something I can listen? No. Um, what's what's int- um like when you started talking about those? I was looking those up just so I could have a something to read as well as while you're saying it. And what's interesting? This article um, expounds on the four views, like you said, and talks about those. And before he goes any further, because then he it's a long article uh, or fairly long. He goes into strengths and weaknesses of each one before he gets yeah. there. He says this statement, whether we read Revelation as a preterist, historicist, idealist, or futurist, let us not be so committed to arguing our position that we disrupt the unity of Christ's church. When we read the book of Revelation, let us all agree that Jesus Christ will return victoriously. It will be glorious. In the words of Shai Lin, even if we disagree, true believers hum with me. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So as we go through this conversation, as you go home and you kind of, maybe you go read Revelation or start reading and kind of see what view you think you align with most. If you're interested in that, keep that in mind that ultimately what's important uh, and, and ultimately what all of these views center around is that Jesus Christ will return. Uh, and that's really the emphasis of eschatology, uh, of, of the eschatology of, of, of Revelation is it all leads into, you go to the, the last chapter in Revelation uh, and I'll probably read it here in a little bit. Uh, just interesting enough. I mean, in chapter 22, verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. So ultimately all the stuff is, is, is really interesting and, and it's fun to debate. Um, but keep that in mind as we go through and it's good to debate and, and talk mm-hmm. about what you agree with, what you don't agree with as we strengthen our, our knowledge and, and faith in Jesus, but Jesus will return. Yeah. I think it, what you're saying is 100% true. Um, but part of why we're doing this series on Overlooked is because we we realize the importance of us knowing what we believe. Right, um, yeah, yeah. And being able to affirm and defend that belief. Like if someone came up to you and, and said, um, for example, like going all the way back to our, our first podcast on this series, what's the Trinity? And you're just like, well... Uh, God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit. And they're like, well, okay. Yeah. But, but how does that even, how's that even possible? And right. you're just like, well, I, I, I mean, I have no idea anything about it. They're going to look at you and say, well, you must not really believe what you believe. I um, mean, and so, you know, it's, it's not necessarily important where, where doctrines and arguments of theology create issues is where, we draw a line in the sand right. and say, if you don't believe what I believe here, then, then you're, you're not a Christian. Yeah. Um, and the thing is when it comes to eschatology, there are very few, the way that I view really um, life in general and conflict is I need to know what Hills I'm willing to die on. Like within my faith, I need to know where I am not willing to budge from. Within my ministry, I need to know what aspects of my actions I'm not willing to budge from. Like where I, I want to be as compromisable as possible, but there I need to know on the things that I won't compromise. Mm-hmm. When it comes to eschatology, there's not very many things within eschatology that you need to say, I, that's the hill that I'm willing to die on. Right. Um, the, really, uh, the biggest thing is that Christ is going to return and he's going to conquer 
for the final time, the great serpent, Satan, um, the, the great um, adversary. Um, that's really the only aspect of eschatology, Christian eschatology, that is firm. Um, everything else we need to understand and we need to kind of have knowledge of, but there's nothing within it that we need to draw our line in the sand over. Yeah. And, that, yeah, and that's what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. It, having four views, we should discuss those. And if we have a different view, you should talk about those because you may, there may be something you're overlooking or, or, you know, something like that. But, but yeah. like you said, that's a good way to say it. Have you all worth drawing a line in the sand unless the differing view is Jesus isn't coming back. That would yeah. be worth. <laughs> let me, let me ask, have you all, either of you, um, and, since starting youth ministry, have you ever taught on Revelation to your youth? Heck no. That's a, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I wanna... I, uh, no, I have never taught on Revelation. Our church did a night Bible study on it, but I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of youth there. It was like a Sunday night thing, but no, I've never taught. Um, I, I've used passages from Revelation, but never taught from it. Mm-hmm. We We did the story. So, we've done some revelation. I've never done like a, let's go through it chapter by yeah. chapter. I mean, I haven't done like a deep, deep study on it, but we have talked about revelation. So, and Christ's second coming. I think I, I've taught on it twice now. I did a sermon series on it. And then I also taught really when I taught and I only taught the, the four, what the four views were and how each view interpreted each of the seven letters. I didn't make it past the letters. Um, cause then the kids were just kind of like, I'm done with this. Like yeah. it's too much drinking out of a fire hose. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. but the, I think the main takeaway from revelation obviously is the victory of, of Christ. I think personally, and, and this, you know, this isn't something that I'm, like I said before, this isn't a hill that I'm willing to die on. I think a really important takeaway is the understanding of what Satan or who Satan is. Um, When you look at, when you come to Revelation chapter 12 and you look at from Revelation chapter 12 through um, the end of the book, that's when you come to kind of the ultimate finale um, of, of uh, good versus evil of, of the spiritual war that's been taking place um, and, and you see in, in chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, um, this is really a callback to Genesis 3. Do you, do you all see that there at all? Um, specifically in verse 7, it says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sister who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. For they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice you heavens, you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and to the sea because the devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows his time is short. And then it goes on to the woman being persecuted. Let me me stop you real quick. Uh, So this would be, 
I mean, dating back to, I mean, like right after creation. See, that's how I interpret it personally. The yeah. way I, I read this, and, and that's what I'm saying. This isn't a hill that I'm willing to die on. Um, but the way I see chapter 12 specifically is the prequel to the fall of humanity. Um, that Because what you see next is when the dragon saw that he had been thrown huh. down to earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. And so that one way to look at that is he persecuted humanity and he, he persecuted. And if you call back to Genesis three, where it says Genesis three fifteen, the proto evangelium that we've talked about before, where it says that where God says to the, um, to the Satan is her offspring, the woman's offspring will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You know, it, it's talking about this conflict, this struggle between humanity and Satan and ultimately the crushing that comes from Jesus. And that's why it's called the first good news, the Proto-Evangelium. Um, but the point of this here that I was trying to make is comes in verse nine, which says, so the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world was thrown to earth and the angels with him. And, and a lot of times we, we put, we put a lot more stock into the beasts, because um, what you see in chapter 13 is you see the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth. Um, we, we put a lot more stock in, in the, the lake of fire and all these different things. But I think, especially from an idealist perspective, the most important piece of history within Revelation is that it says, you know, this war began in heaven when Satan rebelled. And we know that it's Satan because he's identified as the ancient serpent which is what he was in the garden. And he's the devil. He's the Satan. And we said before, Satan is from the Hebrew word, uh, Satan, and it just means adversary. You know, it's not a first person name. It's saying that this serpent is the adversary of God. He's the antithesis of God. And he came to earth because he rebelled against God. And in his rebellion against God, he tried to pull God's creation away from him. Um, and, and that's why he was persecuting the woman and her offspring and, and hum, all of humanity. And, and so that's, you know, chapter 12 kind of takes this, it, it, in the first, in chapters four through 11, there's basically this heavenly courtroom scene where God is and all of his elders are standing over the earth and they're judging the earth. The way I read it is you get to chapter 12 now and it's a recall of what they're remembering throughout history. And it goes all the way back to the beginning where Satan fell and then the beasts rise up and, and the dragon uses these, these, these powers to um, try to afflict, bring affliction to the people and draw them away from God. Um, and, that, and so the way I read it because of chapter 12, the way I read uh, the bulk of Revelation is, is from that idealist perspective of this is good versus evil. This is a spiritual war that has been taking place that we can't see anything up. It's of, it's completely beyond our comprehension, but we feel the effects of it on earth because of the fall. Um, so, so would a futurist read that as it's going to happen again? I think so. And that's, that's the thing that that's why it's these different interpretations because this There's to me struggle. would, like you said, this to me would be a weakness of the futurist mm -hmm. perspective, and, this and, part. And there's parts of like every perspective that's right, weak. Right, and yeah. there's probably a part where futurist is like, well, look, it's got to be futurist because look at this part. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. And, and 
I don't know. Maybe that's kind of the beauty of it is there's no perfect perspective. And that's why I love idealists because idealist makes the statement. We can't know the spiritual conflict that's going on. Yeah. We see the residual effects of it because of pain, conflict and strife, but we don't see the spiritual conflict as a whole. We lost our ability to see that. Um, I think it was Augustine who, um, no, it wasn't Augustine. It was Anselm. I think one of the church fathers says that we have, we had three eyes at creation. We had the eye to see the physical realm, which we still have. We have the ability to see the physical realm. We had the eye to see the spiritual realm and we had our, our eyes to see. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember any, anyway, the only ability we have to see now is the physical realm. Mm-hmm. Everything else was taken away. We can only feel the residual effects of the other two realms of, of the heavenly realm. And the, I think it was the soulish realm, the sp- the spiritual realm. Um, so the, the point is we can feel the effects of, of the great dragon of the great serpent yeah. of, of God's adversary trying to devour us but we don't see the spiritual conflict as a whole. Hmm. We just know because of revelation. And that's where the hope comes in, right? John is saying, you know, we can feel the conflict. We can feel the strife. We are experiencing it now, but we have hope because we've been promised that it's all going to come to an end. Hmm. Um, and, and that's why it's also important to know the context that revelation was written in. It was either written in 70 AD when Nero was persecuting and killing Christians left and right, or it was written in around 95 AD when Domitian, both of these guys are emperors, were persecuting and killing Christians left and right. So either way, whichever time period this was written in, we know that it's being written to Christians who are facing fear, the fear of their lives. They're like, what, the world hates us. We're dying left and right. People mm-hmm. are getting tortured, you know, when is what's the point of all this and john says well there's a spiritual war that's been taking place all throughout history and they definitely felt the effects yeah and we're feeling the effects of it yeah and it's only going to be restored with christ's return hmm. so right, hey let me ask a question real quick is it uh, i was actually about to ask you one so i like oh, it no, go ahead Mike. I, no 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 I, I, first. no no, no. I wanted you to give us the questions. Really, I was going to introduce you and ask you to oh, set up so you could ask the question to us. Live producing. That. Go ahead, man. All right. So if, all right, let's just say we have, um, let's say we have a student ask us the question. All right. If there are these three different views, if, if we see um, premillennialism, if we see amillennialism, and if we see postmillennialism, if we have all three of these views and all of the greatest theologians in the world are all split between all three of them and not even include dispensationalism. Um, if everybody's split between all three or four of these, why does it matter to study it? If no one will ever know the answer, what's the purpose of studying those views? So you can ask that question really about anything. Cause yeah, theology, say, I feel like we've kind yeah. of done that in every, episode almost. i think more so for eschatology and millennialism especially but theology is the study of god and part of the study of god is making the statement that god is unstudiable like you mm. can't fully know god so every aspect of theology every aspect of our faith individualized eschatology 
ecclesiology, um, well, ecclesia, ecclesiology can be, we'll get into that next week, but every aspect of theology is us glimpsing into the way, the way I, I like the metaphor I like to use is we are living in a hotel with infinite rooms and the only way that we can get a glimpse of God is by walking to our doorway and looking through the peephole of our door. And everything we see in the universe is that what we see through that peephole of the door. Now, there's infinite doors and space in this hallway, but we're only looking through this one little tiny hole, and everything we glean about God is through that hole. That's a scary thought. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. Like, we just can't fully know crazy? God. We have the capability... Yeah of understanding little bits and pieces anytime we see him walk by the door. When he reveals himself. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. he walks in front of our door, we can see him a little bit, but Gosh. we have to accept the fact that there are aspects of every discipline of theology that we can't understand. Can we call and, his room number? Yeah. Is there, is there room service in this, sir? Ooh, ooh, ooh. The spirit. Yeah, the spirit's oh, the room service. The yeah. spirit's the... Yeah, the spirit. you, hey, 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 look uh, here. Spirit, I need some... Yeah, I'd like to know yeah. more about hey, this. Can you deliver some peace to, to room 301? I've never unfolded this um, hey, analogy this there you deeply, go. So. There you go. We add on to the, our uh, analogy here. I, yeah, so I guess, guess kind of what we're saying is, you know, if, if somebody asks that, you know, like, why, why should we study all of these? It's just showing that, hey, though we might know the answer, the point is that with an infinite God and an yeah. eternal God, we just want to know more about him. Yeah. And we want to discipline ourselves in taking yeah. that. Like we, we, part of learning this isn't being able to defend it and say, I believe this. And if you don't agree with me, then you're stupid. It's saying, no, I'm s- disciplining myself and studying God. It might be premillennial. The coming of Christ might be premillennialist view. It might be an amillennialist view. It might be a postmillennialist view. Regardless, I just want to know the different possibilities and well, what people before me, theologians before me, have come to understand. And within millennialism, just to clarify, millennialism isn't the same as the four views of Revelation. Um, millennialism is a view of when Christ is going to return. So right. within Revelation, you get this reference to a thousand years. Um, there, there will be a thousand years without Christ, or there will be a thousand year reign of Christ. Um, and people are wondering, is Christ going to come and then the thousand years will happen mm. or will Christ come or, or will the thousand years happen? And then Christ comes immediately after that, or is Christ already reigning now? And the thousand years are metaphorical. Yeah. Um, so premillennialism oh. is that Christ will come and then the thousand years will happen. Postmillennialism is that the thousand years will happen and then Christ will immediately return. A millennialist is that. Christ has been here the entire time, um, and so, the thousand years don't really, it's in, metaphorical. Do you say pre-millennialism was a thousand years, then Christ would return? Or pre-millennialism is, post- is Christ comes, and then the thousand okay, years. Okay, so post-millennialism. Um, like post-millennialism. No, not quite. <laughs> um, post-millennialism, do we know in that belief, do we know when the thousand years starts? Um, because so, if we did, and that would mean we would know when Christ would return. So... Within Revelation 19, um, you have to read it for me. I can't read. <laughs> it's 19, 11 through 21. Um, and it's talking about the rider on the white horse and the beast and his armies defeated. Um, and so it, 
and it's that's a lot of verses. I don't, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but it's basically saying that the armies of heaven come down, and there's this battle between the beast, which is the representative of Satan. It's not Satan himself. It's the representatives of Satan that are used from um, that Satan pulls up out of the earth, which metaphorically kind of is talking about governments and 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 rulers and people that have dominion over the earth that that satan uses to his gain and this rider on the white horse comes and the beast and his armies his evil is defeated post-millennium says that after this defeat that's when jesus comes um and that the millennial the thousand years and post-millennialism it's not strictly a thousand years uh pre-millennialist is christ comes and then it's going to be exactly a thousand years before the end happens. Mm. Post-millennial, amillennialism looks at a thousand years completely metaphorically. Post-millennialism is kind of like a thousand years, might be a thousand years, but it also just represents the age of the church reaching its fullness. Mm. And then when it reaches its fullness, this battle's going to take place. Christ's church and Christ himself is going to be, be victorious. And upon that victory, he's going to return and the end's going to take place. Mm. That's post-millennialism. Um, there's different the, the the point of all three doesn't really I don't think matter all that much because you can you can look at the world and observe the world today and make arguments for each of mm-hmm. these three views but when I observe the world today John MacArthur we were talking about this earlier before the podcast started John MacArthur is this famous preacher very well-known preacher and, and writer. And um, he made a really bold statement on Sunday and, and he was talking, preaching on revelation. And he said, um, said, you know, I'm not going to make the statement that the end times are occurring right now, but I will make the statement that the governments of Satan, which he was referencing was the beast. These two beasts that came out and had dominion over the people. He says the governments of the beasts look an awful like, what the governments of the world today look like. Now, with that being said, I think every single oppressive government throughout history looks like that. Yeah. So I, 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 I subscribe to a cyclic um, view of history that history just kind of repeats itself. And you see that within the, um, the seals that Jesus breaks. Um, that's a whole nother topic on the book of revelation. But with that being said, what we should glean from this, view what we should glean from scripture <laughs> we do not know when jesus is going to come back mm. it could be before the millennia could be after the millennia could be regard it could be irregardless of it i was gonna say and it could just not even be anything to do i mean but it's if jesus, we right? look at it as you know governments are going to have some kind of dominion and oppressive nature well but you can see that all throughout history so if that's the case, then we should always be expecting Jesus to return. And, that, and that maybe that's the point of why it was written. Uh, the way it was written was to, to show the church from the church 2,000 years ago and the church today that, hey, you always have to be ready. Uh, you always got to be ready. We don't know when Christ is going to come. We don't know uh, what moment. It could be in an hour. It could be as soon as we finish this podcast. We might. I mean, our That'd great be cool. Great, <laughs> might not even see it, right? That would be, be like, hey, <laughs> 
We wouldn't get many listens, but man. (laughs) That's that's why I came back. He said, look, y'all ain't getting no fans. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and end the world. (laughs) You you guys are so wrong in every little thing you say. I don't want to even want anyone to even listen to you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But um, yeah, that, I mean, just to show that that we need to be prepared at all times. I think that's important. You know, there was a group and Gary, you might know this, that there was a group um in the time after jesus uh, had died and resurrected that they believed that the time jesus was coming was going to be in their lifetime mm-hmm. they, paul was part of that group up until paul actually held that belief you can see in his letters his earlier letters he thought that jesus was going to return in his lifetime by his later letters you can see okay um, yeah he didn't really un- think that way anymore but yeah, yeah. there there was a and I think there mainly was a, the Jewish, like the ones, the people that were with Jesus. Yeah. And I can't remember the name, but I think there was like this extremist group that, that literally quit their jobs and like quit everything and just waited yeah. for Jesus. Um, but yeah, Paul and, wrote course, to them to tell them not to wait. That was in, right, right. Yeah. Of course. I think those were the Thessalonians. Okay. Yeah. Um, and whoever it was, you know, they were, maybe they were a little too prepared, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, you know, that's the whole point. We need to be prepared. Yeah. We need to be doing the things that God has called us to do. We need, and that includes telling others about Jesus because we don't know how much time we have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I've, you know, you've, people often say, oh, look at everything going on right now. It's, I mean, this has got to be the end. You know, it makes me think of uh, the Jewish people during Holocaust. I mean, <laughs> it might be one of the greatest times of an argument of, of uh, terror and uh, oppression, right? Um, you think about Anytime there's been war. Yeah. I mean, look at the World War One. Um, you know, I mean, look at the, even in both world wars. I mean, just the, the idea of just the world destruction and, and every generation thinks that, you know, they're living in the end time and everyone will. Um, I, I actually, someone this, will be right. Hey, this is crazy. Think about this. Um, and of course, we all think about it. And you, we talked about, uh, Garrett talked about a, a cyclic uh, history. You know, history repeats itself. I read this yesterday. If you were born in the year 1900, um, as a kid, you went through World War I. At the age of 18, you went through the Spanish flu. Um, at 29, the Great Depression happened. Uh, then you went through World War II. Then you went through uh, the Holocaust. Then you went through Vietnam. You know, it kept going on. Like, like if you were born in the year 1900, by the time you were 82, you would went through so many wars. and Cold War. And some, all of, yeah, some of the most, I mean, scary times in history. And to think they probably thought every big thing that happened, the world was ending. This but is it, was, yeah. Yeah, but if you were born in the 1800s, you went through the Civil War. You went exactly. through the War of 1812. <laughs> you went through... Um, yeah, the Revolutionary... No, that's well, not no. it. No. <laughs> um, but the, you went through all these, you know, there's never been... COVID-19, no, that's I, not... I no. think... I'm pretty sure there there is a, um, some archaeology and some, like, historians that have identified that oh, I got to look this up. Um, there's a, um, this is a, have we, uh, this is a just <laughs> absolutely mesmerizing podcast here. Um, um, so there, there, what do you look There at? is a scholar of uh, that, that has in the New York times, sorry, this has been a struggle. <laughs> Um, of the past 3,400 years, this guy researched, humans have been entirely at peace, meaning not having war, for 268 years. 
Out of 3,400 3, years of, of recorded human history. And is that 268 cumulative, like two years between these two wars? Like, yeah, that's just like a year without a war. Okay. So 8% and add of and add recorded human history occurred in a year where there wasn't a war. 8%. Wow. That's, there's your hum moment for the day. Um, huh. I couldn't think of, <laughs> I, I just couldn't think of that off the top of my head. And that was too big of a statistic to try to not, on. Yeah. But of the 3,400 years of recorded history, only 268 of those years have had a, a year, have had a year without a war. I had a year with peace. uninterrupted peace. Wow. That's a stat to uh, write down and uh, remember. And that's from the New York times um, written in 2006. But that's crazy. Huh? Yeah, just is and, that and, war and or con? Is that conflict? Is that see, what I, I don't know. I'd have to read that article. Yeah, and that, war and, and it's conflict. Been a while since or, I read the con. The, either the way, either way. But whether yeah. it's just conflict or just war, that's insane. So and it actually, if it was if it was war specifically, that would make it even crazier because yeah. there would be conflicts probably going on for all of it. But then, and, and then tie that into, you know, and, and what I'm what I was saying earlier about the seals is you 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 have this cyclic, um, cyclic. Um, nature of the seals in the sense that you have the the first seal that jesus opens the seals are jesus is handed the scroll and the scroll is essentially the beginning of the end times and in order to open the scroll jesus has to break all these different seals on the scroll and each seal brings another thing the first seal brings um a conqueror the second seal brings um war the third seal um brings um famine and the fourth seal brings um the fourth seal brings disease and plague pestilence or, or um sorry the third seal brings um like it, it, the the third seal brings economic famine and the fourth seal brings um sustenance famine and then the fifth seal is the one that brings pestilence i think um no i'm wrong on that what i what i said the first time was correct either way the point is it's it's a cycle um you have someone comes in and tries to conquer you have war that breaks out and then you have famine because of the war and then you have disease because of it so even in those 238 years without war how many of those 238 years was there not famine or was there not economic struggle because of all the wars and stuff that have always persisted throughout history. You know, the, the, the point is we are always in this cycle of the seals being open. And, and so I think what John is saying is Jesus has opened this scroll and history is, that's just him opening history, the course of human history. And Jesus is reading the scroll and saying, Oh my goodness, it's nothing but conflict. It's nothing but pain and strife. We need a redeemer. And then you come to chapter 12 and you're like, and you realize, oh, the reason why this strife has been there is because the adversary of God has been devouring humanity. He has been bringing this conflict into humanity. We need a redeemer. And that's where the hope comes into um, from the end of the book where Jesus returns and a new heaven and a new earth is created and pain will be no more and, and we'll live by that'll the be, light of God. That'll be lit. That'll be hype as heck. Um, that's the uh, so there's there's a lot to eschatology. And I mean, I feel like we didn't even like 
Yeah, we didn't scratch the we surface. We didn't even get to, like, oh, we didn't even see the tip of the iceberg. We didn't even get near the tip of the iceberg. We just saw it from from, far, from the Titanic. Oh, <laughs> that wasn't right. From the boat, from a distance um, during the daytime. And and there's a lot of things that we probably just said that and maybe might you just, have just felt, rushed right over and you're like, what Maybe you in the felt world? like you just drank out of a fire hose. So we encourage you. There's a couple of different articles that you can read. Um, there's one on churchleadership.org. That's just called the four main views of revelation. Um, and that's, that's a really helpful article. And you can look up Steve Gregg. He's a, um, an author who has studied eschatology and he has a book called revelation Four views, a parallel commentary. Um, and it's a great book. It's there, there's also a book, uh, in the Bible called revelation. Um, <laughs> and so maybe you should check that out as well. If you haven't, uh, and you can, I'm mainly just teasing Garrett, but, um, maybe. but, but you should check, obviously check that out. You uh, and you can find commentaries on that and that something that can kind of help you, you know, maybe it can help you interpret some of the things. And again, there's different views and there's going to be every commentary you read is going to be written by someone with a different view than someone else. So, uh, if you're interested in that, try to find people with different views to read those different ways that they read it. Uh, and that will help give you as much information as you can possibly get this side of heaven. So I want to end on that passage you were talking about, um, Christian from, from Paul to the Thessalonians. Yeah. Um, it's in first Thessalonians and Paul's talking to the, these people. Um, and he's saying these, these people, like you had said, they had, stopped working they basically stopped living because they thought that jesus was going to return at any moment so what's the point of of buying and selling and stuff if if they if jesus was about to return so in first thessalonians chapter five he says about the times and the seasons brothers and sisters you do not need anything to be written to you for you yourselves know very well that the day of the lord will come just like a thief in the night when they say peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark, for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, and children of the day. We do not belong to the light or the darkness. So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. So what he's saying is, you know, in our awareness of the end times, in our awareness of God's sovereignty, we know that He's going to come. We might not know when he's going to come. We might not know how he's going to come, what's all going to look like, but we know he's going to come. And because we know that, we need to maintain self-control, maintain the course. He goes on to say, don't just stop working. Don't just like give up on life. But as you live, live with the awareness that he's going to restore all things. Man, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Christian? I, even when it's bad, even when it seems like it's going to be an end, we got to be prepared. Got to do the things God has called us to do. Like Garrett said, can't sleep. Got to stay awake. Yeah. Even if you love to sleep, calling out my wife there. True. <laughs> and mine. Sheesh. Got him. It's the end of the podcast. She might not be listening anymore. Yeah, usually, yeah exactly. <laughs> Classic. Cool. Y'all got anything else? I'll close this in prayer. If not. Man, I ain't got nothing. Man, I never had nothing. We started this podcast. I had nothing. Yeah, Here I talk I way too much during these podcasts. I need to. Well, here's the thing. Back. If you didn't, we would just be silent. I feel like we'd just be looking at each other. So, um, yeah. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure we're on. Uh, make sure you like. Um, I think, it's not YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to our 
feed, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, whether it be on Spotify, um, and make sure you give us a review and share it. Um, you can copy that link to Facebook or whatever and uh, help us share it. We, when we post on our Facebook pages, we usually post every couple of weeks about it. Um, like those posts and share those. We uh, Not for our glory or our gain, um, but for the, the glory and the gain of the kingdom. Uh, we just hope to, to be a part of, of the collective body of, of the church and sharing the word of God. So thank you for listening and being a part of it with us. Uh, make sure to comment comment on our Facebook pages with questions or anything you want uh, to talk about. And we may be able to present it on the podcast or at least be able to reach out to you and talk with you. Um, So thank you all for listening and subscribing. Uh, Let me close some prayer. God, we love you. We thank you. We just praise you for the time that we can be together today and just learning and talking and discussing more about eschatology, God, and, and the, the, the overarching and central truth, God, that Jesus will return. Uh, and the beauty of the second coming of Jesus and those who have accepted him will be um, will be made new, God. And we are just so, so thankful for that truth. And all of the fear that may lie within it, God, we can um, take solace, we can take comfort, we can take peace, God, in the truth that Jesus will return. And he uh, died for us, God. We love him and you love us, God. We are so thankful for that truth. We love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. 